0: Well, hello, and a very warm welcome to a reason for hope. A reason for hope is a live broadcast, uh, dedicated and guided by your questions on the Bible. Any questions you have, searching for an answer from the Bible, could be Christian living, could be a passage of scripture or a verse that's confused you, maybe uh, world topics and world views from a Christian perspective. Really, any honest question that you have, if you're looking for an answer straight from the Word, that's what we're all about here at a reason for hope. And we are live with you for the next hour. My name's Dave Robson. It's good to be back with you. I was a little under the weather, but feeling much better. I'm glad to be here. Glad <laughs> to have you back. Yeah. Well, thank you. So before I let you know how you can be part of the broadcast, allow me to introduce our guest to you today. Over to my right, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing, sir? Good. We
1: have officially got the green light for starting the student ministry up again. And one of them brought in one of those selfie sticks. I know it's uh, probably dated for that trend. Yeah. But it's actually refreshing. It let me take a good long look at myself. <laughs> I like
0: that one. That's good. I like that today. Yeah. But Very um, good. but um, I, don't, I don't have a snare drum here, but I'll put <laughs> We should time. have one. We need yeah. to have one in the studio for occasions just like this. Yeah. Well, welcome, Sean. Thank you for being with us and giving us this time to delve into the Word. And also with us, Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, great to have you
2: back, Dave. Thank you. It's good long to be back. Long hiatus oh. with the uh, uh, flu bug doing a... Tap dance
0: on your yeah uh, your forehead or something. <laughs> all yeah. over yeah all over yeah. yeah it's strange when a you know you get colds and stuff for a few days but when it goes on for days and days and then weeks it's like am I ever gonna kind of get better but that's yeah I guess the nature of the flu but yeah thermonuclear not COVID though not COVID yeah not something just, else just uh, something serious just
2: yeah <laughs> something man flu serious yeah. man flu Some, yeah. something
0: like that well, well it's good to be back we are so glad that you're back same here good to be with you. Well, again, as I mentioned, this is a live broadcast that is is guided by your questions, so please do send your questions in as we go along. Get in early. Sometimes we do start to run out of time, so get your questions in. There's multiple ways you can join us. If you're seeing us or hearing us, you've obviously found a way already. If you're listening to us on the radio, on Reach Radio or an affiliate, you are listening to a a pre-recorded version of our last show that we did, but do send your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com, and we'll endeavor to get to that question on our next broadcast. But on our other platforms, we are live as can be. A Reason for Hope is a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona, so keep that in mind as you're trying to find us. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, go to the Watch Live tab, and you'll find us right there. Go to Facebook, search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you'll find us there as well. On YouTube, the, the channel is called A Reason for Hope, so you'll find us there. Now, all those platforms have chat functions where you can send your questions i personally will be navigating those and fielding those questions as they come on in and throw them out to these fine gentlemen here for us to delve into the word you can follow pastor scott as well on twitter at scott r4h that's scott letter r number four letter h i said that without even thinking about it this time yeah okay <laughs> it rolls <laughs> right off the tongue <laughs> that's <doesn't> right <laughs> and he posts updates uh, or highlights from the show and just updates on world events and Scriptural things and snarky things and funny things and and uh, all kinds of things. So do follow along with Pastor Scott there as well. Well, with all that being said, uh, Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us today? Before I would we love that. go any further. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Father, I thank you so much that uh, the old
2: saying is true. Uh, we can always do more than pray, but we can't do anything more than when we pray. And uh, Lord, we bring this uh, whole conversation to you. We pray that people would be edified, exhorted, and comforted by your word going forth. And, uh, Lord, I do pray that you would take even the scriptures we explore and uh, maybe even apply them in ways that we could have never uh, begun to understand, Lord. Uh, you see the, uh, the, the heart-to-heart needs of every person who's taking the time to tune into this broadcast today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, through the power of your Spirit, speak deeply to them. I thank you, Lord, that we have prayer where we can express our hearts to you, but it's your word that expresses your heart to us. So allow us to explore that and enjoy that and just revel in the goodness that we have in your
0: revelation, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. Once again, send your questions in. If it's an honest question, there's no wrong question, and I bet there's someone else that has that question on their heart too, so uh, do send your questions in. And um, Before we move on, Pastor Scott, sometimes you have an update for us or something to share. Is there anything on your heart today? Yeah, uh, just uh, uh,
2: kind of a, uh, a a plug, I guess, for lack of a better term, for uh, the study that we're going to be doing a little bit later on today, uh, 6.30 p.m. at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, our Oasis service. We finished a study on the book of Revelation, and uh, what we're doing now is we're hitting some of the major issues in biblical prophecy that come up after a study along that line. Some of the controversial subjects and really some of the foundational uh, truths about the uh, soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ that people really need to have under their belt. And uh, tonight we're going to be exploring uh, Romans chapter 11, what God's plan is for Israel, particularly in the last days. And uh, that's a uh, passage near and dear to my heart uh, because I got my master's thesis uh, written on Romans 9 through 11, which deals with God's plan. plan for Israel, uh, not just uh, during this time while we're waiting the Lord's return, but how the Lord is going to use Israel in a profound and powerful way, and really how Israel is uh, God's uh, uh, countdown clock, if you will, uh, to uh, the last days, and the end times. You know, people will say, you know, uh, you know, is, is there any prophecy being fulfilled in our day? Well, Israel being back in the land, certainly uh, a remarkable prophecy being fulfilled. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight, but just uh, a little... Uh, Snippet, if you will, uh, something to wet the whistle and encourage you uh, to uh, dive a little bit, bit more deep into this. I uh, was uh, reading again today while we were talking about God still having a remnant, and that God always, down through time, uh, has always had a faithful percentage of the population—not uh, the majority, but the percentage of the population uh, that is uh, truly belongs to Him—and. Uh, a couple interesting statistics uh, I was able to discover. Uh, one comes from uh, Joel Rosenberg's uh, great website, All Israel News. And, uh, you know, a recent um, study that was done by the Lifeway organization determined that uh, there are now over one million uh, evangelically oriented Jewish people in the world. That is, uh, people who believe that Jesus is God, believe in salvation by grace through faith, Uh, believe that Jesus rose from the dead in a moment of history, have a personal born-again relationship with him. Over 1 million Jews. Now, uh, when you compare that to the fact that there's about 17 million Jews total in the world today, uh, that doesn't seem all that impressive. Some of the statistics didn't seem all that overwhelming. For instance, there's only 30,000 professing evangelical Jewish people in Israel today. But when you stop and consider that uh, right after World War II, there were only 23 total. Mm. That's a pretty significant increase. But uh, the idea that there's well over a million people from Jewish backgrounds, Jewish roots, that uh, are now professing faith in Christ, out of 17 million, well, I did uh, some number crunching, and that comes down about 5% of the population uh, grand total, which doesn't sound all that impressive. It certainly dovetails nicely with what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 11 about God always having uh, a remnant. Uh, you might recall Elijah's famous complaint to God that they've torn down your altars and killed your prophets and I alone am left. You know, he thought he was it. And God reminded him that there were 7,000 in Israel that hadn't bowed the knee uh, to Baal. Well, 7,000 compared to that total population really wasn't a, uh, a huge percentage but it was significant enough it's not the quantity if you will it's the quality that tends to uh, to tell the story and it was at least 6999 more than Elijah thought there were exactly so he had that going for him but uh, it, it kind of piqued my curiosity a bit uh, you know I did a, a little bit of research and uh, according to the same lifeway organization there are an estimated 600 million total evangelical, Bible-believing, born-again Christians in the world today, Mm -hmm. 600 million. Now, when you compare that to the fact that as of November 22nd, uh, the world population passed officially the 8 billion mark, uh, do you know what that says about another righteous remnant? There's only Mm 7.5% evangelical Christians compared to the whole world population. In this world today, mm. so you know the, the the fact of the matter is God's really consistent about that. He's not big on uh, on numbers and uh, and uh, mass evangelism and so forth. Uh, he always uses a handful of faithful people down through time, and uh, even Israel itself, you know, so small among all the nations, uh, certainly in comparison to say uh, population behemoths like China and others, uh, uses this. Uh, Tiny nation, you know, maybe 10, 12 million people in Israel. But uh, that's the nation he's going to use is the straw that stirs the drink as far as prophecy is concerned. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, where Israel fits into God's plan and what that says to us as uh, believers that we're kind of living in this interesting little parenthesis mm. uh, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming and uh, what God's plan is all about, why he designed things that way. And really, uh, not just what we can learn about uh, keeping our eyes on Israel, keeping focused on Israel and how important that is mm-hmm. prophetically, but we can learn a thing or two uh, about uh, the nature of our own salvation itself. So it's going to be a really interesting study. Uh, you can watch online, same uh, uh, internet avenues yeah, as uh, as a reason uh, for hope that we have yep. here. And we just
0: encourage you to be a part of that if you can't come out and join us live. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just half an hour we'll... We'll be done here with the show at six, and then six thirty, the service will start up. So just stick around on the platform, or, like you said, if you are in the Tucson area, we're right by Prince and I Ten, Calvary Christian Fellowship. Come on down and join us in person. Yeah. So if
2: you ever feel outnumbered and outgunned, as far as uh, you know, people who really have a genuine relationship uh, with God
0: is concerned, uh, it's always been that way. Yeah. And it certainly hasn't slowed God down a bit. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have questions coming in. We have a question from Dwayne. Dwayne, thank you for, for being part of the, the broadcast and sending your question in. He's asking, uh, why do people call Donald Trump uh, the beast? Uh, because that theory is getting more and more popular. So should we be concerned about it? Is Donald Trump the beast or the Antichrist? Or? Yes,
1: biblical literacy should be something we are concerned about. When it comes to the calling <laughs> Donald Trump the beast, for those of you who aren't in on the joke, uh, the beast is one of many titles and terms dubbed for the man of sin, the cruel king of the north, the son of perdition, the beast from the sea, the prophesied Assyrian, and also the most, Antichrist, po- yeah, yeah. most popularly mm, yeah. known, the Antichrist. Uh, the Antichrist is only one of the names that are given to him, and in fact, the name given to him the least, it only appears twice and more in passing in the book of First John chapter 4 the majority of the titles for this future world ruler who will accomplish basically more persecution towards God's people and more blasphemy against God himself than anyone ever has or will, is of course something, or someone rather, that the church is always, and I say this both positively and unfortunately— had an eye out for. And the reason why that's a positive is because with an eye on the end times, that means their attitude is Jesus could come today. But the negative in that regard is that they're focused so much on not just the Antichrist, someone other than Christ is literally what it's referencing, but also are paying less attention to Jesus Christ. And this is what we need to be careful with. When they would go to passages or make associations, obviously there have been plenty of candidates throughout the ages going from the more obvious like Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, uh, Karl Marx, and, um, you know, name your tyrannical dictator. Yeah, Stalin. And, yeah, they would him. take piecemeal passages and aspects of the Antichrist ministry in the fact that he would persecute the Jewish people, he would be a great world ruler, and so forth. But they would also at the same time leave out passages and noting what Daniel 9 notes about his origins, what Daniel 11 notes about his um, basically conquest into northern Africa and those culminating into the Battle of Armageddon. They would leave out the aspects of him being uh, supported by a false prophet who would perform miracles in his name. They would leave out the aspects of events in the world that will be happening around him. And for those of you listening, we are taking a futurist position in this uh, reading of Revelation. A biblical position. Yeah, so (laughs) that's what we try to do. (laughs) The point being made, though, is that they have to emphasize certain aspects of the person they don't like and say that that qualifies them as the beast while leaving out the other 99% of the things that were told about this beast that, of course, that person doesn't qualify for. So if someone's going to say that anyone is the Antichrist, the question we shouldn't ask is, Wow, what should we do about that? That's assuming the conclusion without proving it. What we should be doing is, what makes you think that? You can watch how they handle scripture, or mishandle it in this case, and see if the whole story is being told, or only if certain aspects of the story are being overemphasized, and the parts that don't fit what they already want to be true, don't match up to their reality which of course is not reality. So let's go through some of the claims, some of the associations that rightly so could be applied to Donald Trump and ask does he fit the whole bill? Well, in first and foremost as far as Donald Trump's efforts in accomplishing peace in the Middle East, he's outpaced pretty much every US president before him mm. in the Abraham Accords, not necessarily right. writing but of confirming that peace accord, and that definitely raised people's eyebrows because we're also told in Daniel chapter 9 that he will confirm a covenant with many for one week, and that will, of course, mark off the tribulation. It will be a peace, but a false peace. Right Now, in the position of a politician, we can also note that off, that he won't be a warrior. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6 and verses 1 through 2, we note the first horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen, we believe are in overall summation of the fallout of the Antichrist rise to power. But this first beast is, or the first horseman rather, is significant of his mission. He won't be marching out with a sword, at least not yet. He'll have a bow with no arrows. It will be done through intrigue. And this is also verified through other passages in Zechariah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel. Uh, Another interesting point that people make as far as associating Donald Trump with the Antichrist is, of course, not only is he not himself uh, Christian per se. Obviously he can't talk enough about how he loves the Bible and he quotes from two Corinthians at times. Uh, people would say that because yeah, he the portrays... The Job. Yeah, he, the most luxurious Bible
2: in the world. I get the, they, they call me the <laughs> Bible huge, reading machine. Yeah.
1: Uh, obviously people get concerned by that and they would say, well this man's portraying himself as a godly figure. He's trying to be of godly influence, having Jewish members in his own family, making positive relations with Israel, Obviously, these are things that the Antichrist as well will do, but here's the tricky part. It stops there. What else do we know about the Antichrist? We know that according to the same passage we hear in him confirming the covenant with one week, he'll be from the same people. He'll be a prince from the people who destroyed the temple in 70 AD. We know that Donald Trump's uh, lineage, of course, is not in association with ancient Rome. We know that the interesting aspects or approaches Donald Trump's had towards promoting himself haven't been through false miracles or a false prophet. He hasn't even made a contrast between himself and the Messiah. He said some foolish things on the Internet specifically in contrast with United States law. But remember, the United States is not the metric by which we judge the end times or its workings in this earth as much as we'd like it to. There's also an interesting aspect of the media being against him, whereas in Revelation 13 we're told that the whole world will marvel after him and say who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. Donald Trump is a lot of things in the eyes of the world. Positive ones aren't amongst them, at least not universally. When we look at other aspects of his, I guess, uh, legacy and career, he made no excursions into Africa like we will read the Antichrist will do in Daniel chapter 11. We read of nothing concerning Donald Trump's efforts to essentially unify the world and worshiping of him under pain of death. I know there are some people who do... make effigies of him in the image of the god-emperor of mankind based off Warhammer 40,000, but you can look that up and realize it was actually meant to be a parody in a parade that wasn't even the United States. The point being made is this. When people say Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, anybody is the Antichrist, what we need to do is seek the full counsel of God's word find everything we can about this figure and ask, do they pass 100% or do they miss and therefore fail any one of the things we're told about him? If someone comes to you and says, this person's the Antichrist, all they've told you is they don't like that person and they don't like the Antichrist, so they can feel positive about that. But we're more interested in truth than association against evil. So when it comes to this antichrist mindset, understand that doesn't manifest in finding a person, it's avoiding a person. A mindset that avoids any focus of Jesus Christ in Scripture is antichrist, and we need to discourage that. If someone's looking to associate Donald Trump as the scion of the devil, the false God, the son of the unholy trinity, then I'd say they probably have what's called, I believe it's been coined, Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, and it's been, of course, taken many forms throughout the ages. Our encouragement to you and all those listening anywhere in the world, whether it's your leaders or ours, whether it's a figure that you don't particularly like or not, if the accusation has come, comes to you and says that this man's the antichrist, all you have to do first and foremost is go to Second Thessalonians chapter two and note the past where it notes that the man of sin will not reveal himself until he who restrains is taken away. If you can make the case that the Holy Spirit's restraining work in this world has been removed and the Antichrist thus has risen to power, then you have a case of fitting the bill. But even if you don't uh, take the approach we do of that in reference to the rapture, which you don't have to, by the way, you can still take a step back and ask, okay, here's everything the Antichrist is going to and will be, do they fill 100% or do they fill 99%, 60%, or in Donald Trump's
2: case, 2%? Yeah. yeah. Well, the only thing, yeah, I think that that's really covers it. You know, I'm old enough to remember um, a number of candidates for uh, being the beast, the Antichrist. <laughs> uh, I've seen them come and go. Not yeah. long after I became a Christian, everyone was convinced Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist because he seemed to talk in very low tones and seemed uh, a little sinister, and he mm-hmm. was a great peacemaker. Henry Kissinger wasn't the Antichrist. Uh, then uh, there were those who thought uh, that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because he his three names, Ronald Wilson and Reagan, all had six letters in them. Mm. Get it? Get it? Yeah, because yeah. that's the Bible. Six, yeah. six, six. And, uh, and then there were those who look at Mikhail Gorbachev. He was born with a uh, birthmark wine stain on his forehead. And if you looked at the wine stain just right, you could probably make that out. Mm-hmm. And, and so on it goes. Uh, you know, it just seems like uh, there are people that will try to score political points or, you know, uh, kind of uh, vent their spleen about someone that they don't like on either side of the aisle. Uh, and uh, and say that they've got to be the Antichrist. Well, you know, Sean, I think you hit you hit the nail on the head. In that, uh, the Holy Spirit restrains the Antichrist from declaring himself as such, manifesting himself as such, mm. until the church is taken out of the way. Mm. We we know that from Second Thessalonians chapter two uh, and uh, verse five and and following. So you know, when people say you know, is so and so. The Antichrist, well, you know, the question always comes up, could the Antichrist be active in world politics today? Mm. Certainly could, Mm. but he will not be able to manifest himself as such until the church being salt and light, salt was an important preservative, light keeps darkness at bay, Mm. uh, is taken out in that unique uh, aspect that Jesus uh, told us would characterize us in Matthew chapter 5 has been removed. After that, boy, it's Katie, bar the door. Satan can pretty much have his way, mm-hmm. uh, and he will for seven years in the, the tribulation. But uh, focusing in on that, you know, and I think, uh, you know, the, the point you made, Sean, is really important. Uh, you know, we as believers in Christ are never instructed in the Word to be looking for the Antichrist, mm-hmm. We're to be aware that Antichrist is coming, and as First John uh, chapter 3 tells us, many antichrists, little A, have come. Uh, those people who set themselves instead of Christ, those people who say, you know, worship me or follow me or, or you don't need Jesus, I'll, I'll follow Jesus for you. Uh, all these kind of substitutes are things we should really be aware of in this day and age. But boy, I always go back to Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. It's really a really favorite verse of mine, especially in these crazy days. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, that passage tells us something. What should we be looking for? Not the Antichrist, not the mark of the beast, not, you know. um, We should be looking for Jesus Christ. And I think if you have that healthy perspective, then the rest of these issues are going to find their proper place. But... You know, people get fired up politically on either side of the mm-hmm. aisle, and uh, boy, uh, next to calling someone a racist, I don't know what uh, <laughs> greater uh, insult bomb you could drop on somebody than to say, "I think you're the beast." Right? You know, if you're going to level that kind of accusation, you better be awfully sure, because the Bible tells us something else: as you judge other people, you're going to be judged someday. Mm-hmm. You know, That's and true. so I don't want to be very quick to drop the antichrist or the beast bomb on somebody any more than I'd want to receive it.
0: Yeah, good point, so, Yeah, great, thank you. Very good stuff. Dwayne, thank you for your question, great question. And like you say, a lot of lot of people have that question on their lips as well, um, so thank you for that. A uh, question came in through our website. A restaurant in uh, Richmond, Virginia refused to host a private event for a conservative Christian organization um, over the group's position on same-sex marriage and abortion rights. The restaurant uh, called itself an inclusive establishment and it's rarely refused service um, to willing patrons, but said it denied service to the the Christian group in an effort to protect its staff, many of whom are members of the LGBTQ community. So the question is, should the church be involved in something like this? Meaning should we judge those outside of the church? Um, And should we have those kind of boundaries if we're in Christian business or? um Well, as far as judging people
2: outside the church, Sean, what does the Bible say about that?
1: Yeah, that's a quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul's addressing a specific situation where Christians within, and it's a part of a much longer conversation, but are unwilling to settle small matters between each other and are turning to secular court. They're letting the state settle issues that should be resolved within the body of Christ. And Paul makes a very, very interesting observation, would you rather not be wronged? Would you rather not put yourself in a position where you are wronged for the sake of focusing on what actually matters? Now, the passage that you're noting, that we judge those who are on the inside, God judges those who are on the outside, isn't a prohibition against judgment any more than quoting the first two words of Matthew 7 and verse 1 out of context condemns all Christians from coming to objective conclusions on anything ever. When it says that this has been leveled against me thousands of times, I'm sure you, maybe hundreds, judge not. The Bible says don't judge. Stop judging me. Well, that's usually used in leveling or prohibiting you from coming to any moral conclusions about their behavior that makes them feel that ultimate taboo known as an awareness that what you're doing is wrong. The point being made is, of course, that we shouldn't let our own opinions or our culture determine what is right and wrong and impose that on other people. But if we are in alignment with reality, if we do have a standard for right and wrong and you are not it, then neglecting to tell someone you need a savior from that and its ultimate consequences is unloving. And that is a violation of our ultimate commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So the point being made is this, if you're put in a situation where you have, and this is the First Corinthians aspect of this question, where you have an opportunity to deal with a fellow Christian, a brother, they can be judged, they can be held to the standard and conclusions accordingly of their worldview. They believe that Jesus is God and therefore the moral authority by which you have to do. If they don't live in light of that, then they ought to be called out on it. Why? Because they claim to be following Jesus and apparently worthy of being called out on it aren't. They have that standard they can be held to. Then Paul notes by contrast, God judges those who are on the outside. Now, what's the extent of that judgment? Well, for those in the church, in the church, we share the common salvation and eternal destiny and hope of a or basically a forever relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Therefore, judging each other and calling each other out on our nonsense is enabling us to live life in godliness. Mm -hmm. God's judgment towards those on the outside is to an ultimate declaration of depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And we've mentioned this many times in the broadcast. That's not an incentive for us to let them be them. It's to understand they stand before God in judgment, we stand before each other in judgment mm-hmm. you can judge me and say hey Sean, you really gotta you know watch the uh, calories man I noticed that it's uh, affecting your not only health but your performance and ability to do your job in ministry well I can take that to heart and say either yeah you're right or no. Stay out of my my kitchen, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If on the other hand, someone outside of the church is just you know enjoying the Golden Corral Steak Buffet, we shouldn't be surprised at that because they can do what they want to do. But they still stand before God as someone who is in need of a Savior, regardless of how that's manifested. If someone outside of the church, and this is the key difference in your question, holds themselves to Christian standards, that's weird, but allowed, if someone within the church holds someone outside of the church to Christian standards, that's weird and not allowed. We need them to come to Christ, not be a sanctified sinner. Right. We don't want them to adhere to Christian values or observe Christian ceremonies, which gets into the next part of this question in a moment, until they fully understand what it is they need to resolve between them and God, and that is their judgment before him. That's the context of that Torah bath. So starting then with again, 1 Corinthians 5, should Christians then be judged or judging those who are on the outside, it's a tricky part, especially in regards to the whole flow of 1 Corinthians, those outside the church judging us, those outside of the church exercising their authority and imposing their worldview and morality on us, that if you don't promote hedonism, which is what the LGBT community bases its entire worldview off of, if you don't support the right to human sacrifice, advertised as women's health care and abortion, then you are objectively evil and ought to be fined, persecuted, marginalized, and even criminalized, jailed, in order to conform you to our society. So they would play God in the role that we ought to be encouraging each other to live in light of. Now, the accusation is, no, you Christians by your mere existence are imposing your morality on us and we're simply responding in kind. Well, victim complex or not, what is the actual issue here? It's not that someone without a reasoned worldview exists. It's that we're accusing you of the very thing that we're doing. And so if the Christian church is to be involved in anything, I should be at least hoping that they understand logic enough to recognize this is a mark of hypocrisy on your part. If a church uh, isn't going to, or if a conservative group isn't going to be hosted at a restaurant, doesn't really change much. A thousand square feet or so of real estate can be found elsewhere. But the distinction, the discrimination based on worldview, because you guys discriminate against us, we're Mm -hmm. going to discriminate against you Well, now you don't have an evil being resolved. You have two evils, if we're playing by your rules. We have two discriminators, not one discrimination Mm -hmm. canceling out or preventing another. If, on the other hand, people are saying that if you want to be a genuine, authentic Christian, that you need to avoid those extremist and fundamental views you don't want to be associated with those awful right-wingers that if you're going to be a christian then just do it in such a way where it doesn't make any difference in your life or anyone else's have a faith that doesn't matter (laughs) well then we're going to respectfully hold out our wrists and say you're going to have to put me in jail and you will we know that's coming eventually if you are going to shut us up because we have a reason to believe the things that Jesus claimed not only about the purpose of marriage, the purpose of pregnancy, the purpose of human life, but also to do so in such a way that's presented with gentleness and respect. If that's not returned, then that's between you and God. God will judge you, but we don't want that for you. We love you enough to warn you that that judgment is one you can avoid and we'd rather you be judged accordingly among the Christian fellowship, but you don't become a part of the Christian fellowship until you recognize two things. What are those things? What is the gospel for those of those listening who maybe are saying, you know, I don't want people to be discriminated against, I don't want people to be marginalized, I want people to be shamed for doing things that in their eyes are good, in this case, uh, sacrificing their children but doing so for their own mental and physical health's sake. That's going to be the way of the world, whether we like it or not. It's been the case since the foundation of any of the pagan rituals that's based off of. But for those listening, for those who don't know the gospel, who are outside the church and looking in, what do they need to know if they want to stand in judgment before us rather than before God? They want to stand in judgment before us? before us, meaning they want to be, become a part of the Christian oh, fold. They okay. want to be encouraged okay, gotcha. in life of godliness, that we would come to conclusions about their yeah, behavior because my judgment, on a basis. My judgment doesn't mean anything. But we hold them but, according to the word of God, which but, is the standard that they are hopefully affirming. How do they do that?
2: Well, God's judgment is what really matters. Right. And uh, the fact of the matter is God judges with righteous judgment. Uh, we're told that uh, Jesus himself in the book of Revelation is described as having eyes like a flame of fire. I mean, uh, you know, I've known some people could give you a pretty mean look, but uh, seeming to look right through you, but Jesus really does. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, God is the one who weighs the hearts. He knows the thoughts and intentions that are going on deep down inside. And so if we try to approach a, a holy God and try to say, well, I think I'm a pretty good person, it's not going to take very long in his presence to figure out that we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the whole I'm a good person, I think I'm going to heaven, a deal mm-hmm. kind of comes down to okay how do you define what a good person is right. uh, you know well um, you know I try to live by the Ten Commandments <laughs> Good luck yeah. um, have you never have you ever told a lie well you've borne false witness have you ever disrespected your parents? You haven't honored your father and mother. Yeah. You know, have you ever had adulterous thoughts about someone who's not your wife? Well, there you go. You're out.
0: Yeah. Uh, Do and, you even know the other seven? Yeah.
2: You know, you know and I mean, we haven't even gotten to "you <laughs> shall not covet." That is wanting something that belongs to somebody else. If you ever looked at somebody and said, "Why him and not me?" Yeah. You're out too. But uh, you know, the Bible tells us the verdict's in. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. But God has done something about our problem because God is loving and just. He could not look the other way at our sin, but because he's love, he wanted to make a way for us to be reconciled to him in a way that is just and righteous. And so he did something. He became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Going into the Christmas season, that's what we celebrate. Uh, Jesus being born into this world. God the Son came and walked among us. He lived a perfect sinless life that we could never live, died on a cruel Roman cross, not to pay the price for his own sins, but he willingly took our sins upon himself. Mm-hmm. and the Bible tells us that because he died for our sins, at the end of his suffering, he said it is finished. In other words, the price for our sins was fully paid. God's love and his justice were, sac- were, were completely satisfied at that moment. Mm-hmm. All we have to do in order to get, enter into God's forever family is put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says it is by grace that you've been saved, God's unmerited favor, not because of any... Uh, thing that we're bringing to the table, any potential, any, uh, any kind of uh, uh, talents or abilities. God says, oh, wow, you know, they're so great, i got to have.
0: No, it had
2: nothing to do with that. It was strictly God's love and God's love alone that caused him to save us. But we're told we're saved by grace through faith, not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All we have to do in order to pass from death into life, Jesus said, was simply put our faith and our trust in him believing that Jesus died for us, that he rose from the dead, and to ask him personally to forgive us our sins and to come into our lives and make us a brand new person. That's all you got to do, and uh, God does the rest. At that moment, you are what we call born again. God gives you a brand new life. He says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, absolutely separated from him. It was all over but the shouting, but Jesus paid the price. He now forgives us, and because of that, He can dwell within us and make us brand new people from the inside out. If we make the decision to turn from trusting in ourselves or trusting in our good works or trusting in popular opinion as our hope of heaven, but simply saying, Lord, uh, I believe that you're the only way and I put my faith and trust in you. That's what the Bible calls repentance, believe it or not, doing a 180 in terms of your mind. And that change of mind towards God, believing his truth, will change your heart, which will result in a brand new life that he wants to give to you. So that's how you stand right before God, not because, you know, we've got our tribe and you've got your tribe. And, and, you know, we're going to fight and squabble over things. We get distracted from that, Mm. the importance and centrality of that message. So if there's anybody in our (laughs) listening audience who maybe for the first time realizes that, wow, I need that new life from God, all you have to do wherever you are is simply... Call on the Lord. Romans chapter 10 tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is pray, ask the Lord to give you a brand new heart and a brand new life, and he will do it. And that will change your life far more than any list, uh, laundry list of legalistic requirements or or good deeds or meritorious services you've got to do, religious rituals, anything else. None of that will save you. It's only what Jesus did for us that saved us. So you're
1: telling me that if they are in a homosexual relationship or part of the lgbtq community in some way they can still come to the lord jesus christ recognize what he did to save them from their sins that through his death and resurrection they can have new life and in living in light of that new life jesus won't demand of them stop being who you are he will equip them to instead start living as if they were him through them yeah that is the calling if they're women who have had abortions that they're not up exiled and shunned from possibly ever receiving salvation that they especially are in need of and have availability and access to a savior, not because we hate them and they're on the wrong end of the political spectrum, but because we love them and we want them to stand before us in judgment rather than before God in judgment. Because living in light of the truth is a lot simpler than having the truth literally reveal its light on you and not surviving the process. Right. So the point being made is just this. If the political, I'll just say it, pawns groups of people that are being used by others in order to gain political clout, people who... Have an approach towards this world that, much like you and I, would manifest in different ways. And whether it's an abuse of food, an abuse of our sexuality, an abuse of our tongues and telling the truth or lies, being abusive or caustic towards people, big one for all of us, it's ultimately going to be meaningless because we all stand before God as in either need of a savior or too late to be saved. Now, when that too late to be saved passage goes, isn't when you vote Democrat, isn't when you vote Republican isn't when you vote, dare I say, for Donald Trump. (laughs) It's when you recognize those two simple facts, that God is real and that he proved it in a moment of history, not just that he's real, but that he cares about you through his resurrection from the dead. So if you recognize that, understand you're not barred from this because of your political affiliation, your past, your present, all that matters is your future. And because of what Jesus has done for you, You don't have to stop being, again, I'll repeat this because it is the rhetoric, who you are. You can be who he is. That's what we're trying to do every single day. That's what 1 Corinthians 5 was talking about And standing in judgment before one another rather than before God in the outside world. And note that the majority of you who are either passing this off, rejecting it, or assuming that it's already had because I live my truth, by all means, stand before God with that, and I'll uh, let you know how that works out. But the point being made is just that we want the best for you. We want something better for you than even we would decide for ourselves. If you don't want it, that liberty's given to you. But don't stand upon this righteous altar and say, because I'm doing the same thing that I assume you're doing to me, to you, that somehow means that I'm now in the right because I'm imposing on you something that you aren't actually doing. I've just been told that's what you've done because I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit for something that has nothing to do with my lifestyle. So the point being made is just that. If uh, conservative groups are being persecuted, if Christian groups are being persecuted, and done so in the name of, well, you persecuted us first because Vox said so, by all means stand before God with that, but we would rather you stand with God alongside us knowing that we've been forgiven from our sins, not calling our sins righteousness. Yeah,
2: you know, and I mean, the question always comes up, you know, should you boycott places, um, right. you know, that behave in that kind of way? Yeah. You know, Torbeth, I've never known of a Chick-fil-A that refused service to anybody. Um, you know, that's, that's just not their thing. I mean, yeah. the only uh, time they refuse services when they're not open on Sundays. On Sundays, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> Which I is mean, the it, worst time yeah, to be yeah, closed. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and even during their uh,
1: kiss-in protests when they took a stand for traditional marriage and the hedonist community was politically stirred up and used as a pawn to say, they're standing against your form of relationships and lifestyle. Then they had all these protests and the t- people who were attending in the services let them do what they want and said, hey, do you guys want some coupons? We
2: just opened. That was lit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's the thing. We're not to be overcome by evil, uh, Romans chapter 12 says, but to overcome evil with good. You know, what does good look like uh, in this day where everybody's seemingly got a pressure group and everybody's got a grudge and kind of an edge? Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, have not run in vain or labored in vain. You know, I love that because, you know, what it's saying is be different. Yeah. You know, everybody seems to, you know, one pressure group's got their boycott going on and the other, you know, hey, uh, you know, again, Torbeth, if, uh, you know, you were in this place where this restaurant was, and you didn't feel comfortable with them because they booted some you know, traditional values group from meeting there, well, feel free not to eat there. You can eat somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You, know? Um, you know, I think people that do these sort of things, um, I think it's really short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it reminds me of um, you know, one of the reasons uh, Chuck Smith always said that he didn't preach politics from the pulpit, mm-hmm. uh, because he wanted to fish in as wide a pond as possible. Uh, you know, and the moment you take a stand on a non-biblical political issue, uh, you know, or support some kind of candidate, you've lost half your audience. Mm. And so, just like you know, you mentioned, Sean, we're here to tell people about a relationship with Jesus. And once a person has a relationship with Jesus, the Lord is going to change the way you look at the world. Mm. You know, you're going to look at God's word and you're going to say, okay, what does it mean for me to live my life in a way that pleases Him? Yeah. But, you, you know, the, we can't get the cart before the horse. You know, we can't expect people to get their life together and then maybe we'll tell them about Jesus. That's a fool's errand. We never could do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so uh, I don't want to let uh, a pressure group or someone who owns a restaurant, you know, that kind of has a. a Particular political burr under their saddle. Mm. I I don't want them to to control me. I don't want to live in reaction to these things. Uh, I I want to respond. And, uh, you know, I want to respond in harmony with my relationship with Jesus. Now, uh, again, you know, when I will see, say, some major corporation or some retailer uh, taking a stand against something that, you know, I feel is one of my core Christian values, well, then I have every right vote with my feet you know i just will find someone else who offers the same service and go there um but uh you know it was interesting i've been reading uh, chuck smith's book on the book of acts and one of the things that he points out uh is this you know especially because the powers that be were telling the disciples never to teach or preach again in the name of jesus uh, and they warned them severely and you know as we're going to see that was just a warm-up to actual out-and-out persecution I think I loved about the church. the response wasn't to go out and chuck points this out, to paint signs and boycott, uh, you know, the temple right. uh, or, you know, uh, have a big rally down at City Hall. Their first inclination was to pray, mm. you know, and ask the Lord for boldness. I love that word boldness there. It means cheerful confidence, literally, in the original mm. language. Uh, it was not just sharing God's truth, it was sharing God's truth with a smile on your face. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm always uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, troubled by a prediction Jesus made that uh, because lawlessness has increased in the last days, the love of most will grow cold. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I get suckered into some of these things and, you know, start banning about things that are, you know, or politicians' names or people doing X and such or people who stand for tolerance being intolerant, when I start uh, fighting fire with fire, I always feel like my spiritual thermostat gets turned down Mm -hmm. a few degrees. And, and I don't want that to happen mm. you, know, I, you know there's an old saying that a healthy life is the best revenge mm-hmm. you know so if I want to get even with these people who are doing these kind of things Torbeth, you know I'm not going to be intolerant. I'm not going to be mean I'm not going to say well you believe in this and this and this so I can't have anything to do with you I'm too good for you um, yeah. you know it's just funny how sometimes I you know I, I don't can't pretend to understand why this particular establishment made the decisions that they do. But probably somewhere along the line, they bought in this idea that we will not tolerate intolerance. And boy, you these are people intolerant. You know, these people are intolerant, and by yep. golly, I'm not going to tolerate that. Yep. Um, I think it was uh, not anybody you'd ever want to emulate in your life, but it was the uh, German philosopher Nietzsche who once said, "Be careful when you fight the dragon lest you become the dragon. Um, that can sometimes very easily happen to us. Uh, and uh, we just don't even realize it's happening and we become as bad. Or as noxious, or as unattractive to the other people, are kind of standing on the sidelines, looking on as the people that we're trying to—I don't know—teach a lesson to. Yeah. So you know, have your own convictions. You know, I mean, there's establishments here in town. I'd just go to another establishment because of some of the, uh, you know, the stands they've made on issues that are meaningful to me. But um, you know, I'd never stand outside their store and say anybody who comes in there isn't a good Christian. Right you know, or, yeah. you know, or, oh man, you know, I, I saw that, uh, you know, you had a, uh, you know, Mark Kelly sign in your front yard. You can't eat in my establishment. Yeah, Silly. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's
1: a bit of an aside, but just a quick sub clause to this, if you will. Also don't confuse the behavior of people attending those restaurants or establishments for the restaurant or establishment themselves so in our areas of outreach there have been people who've treated us horribly and people who treated us decently but it's neither the fault nor cause of the people hosting those places we're sharing at if someone is a jerk then all you can prove and verify by that is that someone one was a jerk and if a group is a jerk to you and happen to be attending that establishment all you've been able to establish is that group was a jerk to you. I know this establishment's made their motives clear, but for those listening, if you attend a place and you've had those sort of encounters, don't assume that's the fault of the hostess. They're just there to serve food sometimes. And you, you gotta feel for them because they're probably just as bothered by it as you are. Yeah, yeah. good
2: old buddy of mine who's uh, worked in the construction business in California for a long time, always told me this. And it, I think it's it's gold. You can only roll in the mud with the pig so long before you figure out the pig's enjoying himself. Right. So, stay away from pig
0: rolling. So that's my advice. You had it here first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a great, it's such an important issue in the culture that we live in. And I know from my point of view, at least, Christian, you know, from when I became a Christian, sort uh, 30 years ago or whatever it was, Christians were harmless do gooders. You know, they were people that did good and, you know, loved the poor and they were harmless. And at some point, it may have been around the Chick fil A thing. We became intolerant and haters and those kind, of, those kind of things, you know, and it really flipped the political like that. other. Yeah. And it was very interesting. We became like the enemy. So I guess, I mean, would you say it's inevitable that these things are going to happen, that there's going to be more of that divide where Christians become the enemy more? Yeah. And, and I think the, uh, you know, Francis Schaefer uh, wrote a book,
2: The God Who Was There, and uh, another book called The Great Evangelical Disaster. Uh, And one of the things Francis Schaeffer said way back in the 70s was, he goes, uh, you know, where he lived in the Swiss Alps, there was this one uh, mountain that you could go to and it had on the top of what was called a watershed. Mm. And uh, what it meant was if you got to the peak of this mountain, if you looked at the snow that was on the right side of the peak, that snow would eventually melt and go into rivers and end up in the Mediterranean Sea. Mm. The snow on the other side of this peak would melt and it would end up uh, going down rivers and ending up in the North Sea. Mm. Uh, and uh, you know, you could be, you know, like six inches apart, and it would make all the difference in the world. Mm. These these are what he called watershed issues. You know, how mm. you decide on this. And the the watershed issue that uh, that he pointed out that I thought was really interesting was the whole idea of is there such a thing as absolute truth, binding on all people at all times. Mm. Uh, or is truth in the eye of the be- beholder? Right. Is something true because it's true to you? Is it my truth? Mm-hmm. Or is there some metric where we say, no, this is truth with a capital T? Mm-hmm. And, you know, our culture used to buy into the idea of absolute truth, Ten Commandments. Why? Because God said so. God was the arbiter of truth. But when you remove God as the source of truth, God's word as the standard of truth, Something happens, and it can even happen among us as Christians. I I see it quite a bit. There will be uh, believers that will say, well, you know, I'm a born-again Christian, and I believe in Jesus and all that, but boy, this passage over here, I don't agree with that. Hmm. And when they say that, my first response is, well, it doesn't matter if you agree with it or not. It's God's truth. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, there's this idea of saying, well, no... um, you know i i believe god's word contains the truth but i don't think it really is the truth mm-hmm. you know in, in its totality i mean men men wrote it you know and right. so men make mistakes therefore but you know the bible tells us uh, about the inspiration that god brought to his word that he superintended literally the the people who wrote his word to write exactly what he wanted to have written mm-hmm. uh, and, and so when we start to play that game of saying, "Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me,"
1: is that true for
2: you only,
1: or is that true for both of us?
2: Yeah, and and you know, you get into this thing, and it and it sounds so tolerant and has the nice feel of the middle of the road, but ultimately, you know, what you're doing is you're trying to navigate in life by a, a light that's tied to your own ship's mast, right. and you can even do it apply uh, you know, approaching the scripture. Well, I don't really believe what the Bible says about biblical roles in marriage, because Mm -hmm. that was written way back then. Well, you're, like C.S. Lewis would say, you're arguing by the clock Mm -hmm. again there. But the root issue here, and I think this is what what it comes down to, is uh, there are those in our society that have decided that truth is in the eye of the beholder, that man is the measure of all things, and then there are those who will say, no, we believe God has spoken to us personally through the person of Jesus Christ, and the Bible is his word, and that's our standard. Mm -hmm that's our standard for truth. But once you abandon that standard, well, you know, I might think that being nice to people and helping out, say the homeless is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But what if someone says, well, every time you help the homeless, you're keeping these genetic inferiors uh, alive and we'd really be better off if we got them out of the way before they bred. Mm -hmm. You know, again, a guy that promoted a uh, doctrine called social Darwinism, uh, taught that sort of thing. Right. Well, what makes him right and me wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, what makes me right and him wrong? No, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Yep. So, Taken straight out of the Bach vangita. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. you know, got to be very, very careful with that, especially as Christians, where we start to go, well, you know, that was just Paul. You know, or, yep. or James seems
0: like such a harsh letter. I don't really like James. Yeah. Right. You know, or well, times you know, have changed. changed. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yep. We may have time to squeeze in one more question. Just got a couple of minutes here, but from Casey. Hey, Casey, good evening to you as well. Uh, she said, Scottsdale, I love this question. Um, aside from leprosy, <laughs> does the Bible encourage the decision to stay home when you are sick or quarantine, maybe as an act in walking in love towards others? Yeah,
1: first of all, understand, Casey, in light of uh, government overreach recently, we want to be careful on what we're talking about here, not because we fear consequences from them, but misunderstanding from you. The passage you're referencing is Leviticus 13 and then 14 goes on to note the ritual of a leper in the time of his cleansing. Now note that ritual was never performed until the time of Messiah, the purpose as to which Israel was given this step basically a thousand years ahead. Into med- or 2000 actually, into medical science before the germ theory or proper yeah. dealings of infections and quarantine were considered in any other nation because you read their writings, they just considered a time of plague. Hey, the gods are punishing us. there's nothing we can do. Uh, Galen, who is a Greek philosopher and pagan or uh, physician and pagan rather, had some opinions as to how to treat certain injuries, but not any maladies. The point being made is this. Uh, When we see that passage in Leviticus, it's not the Bible being a book of science and showing us its divine authority by uh, revealing how to deal with infectious diseases. When it comes to the idea of disease, it should always be from the attitude of love. Obviously, when you are sick, it's a common-sense observation that love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I want to put myself in a place where I'm impacting as few people as possible. Why? Not because the Bible said to or not to go to work when you are feeling ill. It's to say, I want to limit this necessary physical suffering in this fallen world. And I know how to do that, thankfully, through observations that come naturally from being made in the image and likeness of God. You can read this in Romans 13 and verse 10. But for the sake of the next five seconds, here's the point that's being made, Casey. The Bible's not a do this and do that book. It's an encouragement of love and exercising common sense. Includes limiting the spread of disease that we have knowledge and access to. For Israel was in leprosy, or what's called today Hansen's disease, But that was meant to foreshadow the Messiah, not to mandate. If the government says stay home, stay home.
0: So, Dave, wash your hands (laughs) and don't cough on people tonight. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Thank you for being part of the show. See you at the same time tomorrow, same places. God bless you guys. Have a great evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope.
1: Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time.